online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again. This is Food FM. The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique, the world through the lens of wine and spirits. This week, sweet Bordeaux. We'll find out more about Sauterne and Barsac, spiritual home to what most consider the world's finest sweet wines. We'll hear about the history, the modern face of the region the methods of production and the secret to that enigmatic noble rot. They are some of the oldest and most widely recognised wines in the world from a unique microclimate, perfectly suited to promoting the development of noble rot, otherwise known as botrytis. Uh, which doesn't sound nearly so lovely. Uh, It's a remarkable process where the grapes uh, literally start to rot on the vine, imbuing the wines with beautifully complex flavours of stone fruit, marmalade, honey, uh, so much more, which is then balanced by a fine line of acidity. And that balance is really key to their uh, delicious character and versatility. As you might have gathered, I'm something of a fan of Sauternes and its smaller subregion, Barsac, uh, which are dedicated to sweet wines. Uh, some choose to say dessert wines, but the reality is that they're perfect for pairing right across a meal, not just with pudding. And these wines are expensive and difficult to produce. Uh, and the vagaries of fashion don't necessarily help them either, which means that they're often incredibly good value. Uh, for what they are. So let's learn more about uh, these uh, treasured wines. Jean-Jacques Dubourdieu is co-president of the Sauterne and Barsac appellations. And Mathilde Assaretto is owner of Chateau Cancanon. And they both uh, join me now. Uh, Welcome to the drinking hour to both of you. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you. You're very welcome. I'm really looking forward to uh, our conversation. Um, Let's begin just to um, establish you both. Um, If you could introduce us to your respective estates. Uh, Mathilde first. Yes, the the estate name is Chateau Quincarnon, as you said. It's a small estate. It's a family estate that was created um, in 88, so pretty recently, by my dad. One of the specificity of this chateau is that the um, my my dad is Peruvian and he started making its own sauterne. The chateau produces one third of sauterne and one and two thirds of uh, grave uh, red grave. I took over the property two years ago with my brother. Uh, we both uh, decided to change career path uh, when my dad retired. My brother was um, working in the insurance world and uh, I was myself in international marketing in uh, marine and offshore markets. And um, we trained and uh, started two years ago. What a fantastic uh, introduction, gosh. Uh, And uh, a a really varied range of of backgrounds too. Um, And Jean-Jacques, just introduce us to 
uh, your estate, if you would. So I'm Jean-Jacques Dubourdieu. Uh, I'm co-owner of Chateau d'Oisiden, um, a small uh, classified estate in the Barsac area. Uh, my great-grandfather uh, bought it in uh, 1924. So we are going to celebrate uh, the centenary of the Dubourdieu family uh, next year. Uh, and uh, I'm the fourth generation with uh, with my brother uh, running uh, the estate. And uh, historically, of course, we make uh, some Barsac, but also uh, an, an historical uh, production of dry white since 1948, uh, which is um, um, the smallest produ- production of the of the estate, but quite historical. And uh, and also um, a small cuvée called the L'Extravagant de Doisiden, which is a, a, a three-barrel, very uh, exclusive production, mainly based on a, on a Sauvignon uh, blend. Well, congratulations for next year on that um, uh, centenary. Um, and let's talk about history, because in doing my research, uh, Jean-Jacques, um, it's very difficult to find out when sweet wine was first produced um, in Bordeaux. Uh, what's your understanding of its uh, origins? So um, it's not uh, it's not very clear, but if we consider that we know, uh, which is uh, the classification 1855 uh, in Sauternes and Barsac, uh, was based on the sales and prices of uh, Sauternes and Barsac wines for the last 50 or 80 years. So uh, we know uh, surely uh, that in 1750-something, we were already uh, producing uh, sweet wine. It seems to be uh, beginning of 17-something, uh, but actually it's not, it's not really clear, but uh, we are talking about at least uh, 300 years of, of history minimum. Yeah, it's... Uh... The reason that these wines are, are so well established and, and so uh, famous, but as you say, it's it's difficult to pin down a precise uh, sort of starting point. But um, tell us uh, a bit about the microclimate. Some might say a mesoclimate, probably, but tell us about the conditions where you are, uh, the soils, um, and uh, and the weather conditions uh, in uh, Sautern and and of course in in Barsac. So we are in the in forty kilometers in the, in the south uh, east of Bordeaux, and actually at at the border of the beginning of the land forest. Uh, so the land forest uh, is starting in Gironde and not in the land, uh, and it's uh, this forest is a bit higher than the vineyard, higher and colder. So it means first of all that we are in a cold place. Uh, maybe one of the coldest places of the, all the, um, the Bordeaux vineyard. Also, our, our vineyard is um, crossed uh, by a little river called the Siron, which is um, a 100-kilometer river uh, under trees. So that's why the, the Siron River is, is quite cold. And uh, when it's joining the, the river Garonne, especially in September, October, in the Barsac village, uh, it's really making a, a thermical shock. Uh, producing um, fog. Uh, that's how um, I think the Sauterne ID, I mean, the sweet wine ID starts in Sauterne. I, I, I think it's easier to, make, to, to get botrytis here than in any uh, other place. Even when there is no rain, uh, we had a good recent example in 2022, 
last year. We had a, a kind of a very dry uh, July and August months and even September, but we made a sautern thanks to the fog and that's how Botrytis finally came and uh, allowed us to um, to make our um, uh, classical uh, sweet wine. So uh, microclimate is, uh, is a reality here, but it's also um, a big uh, uh, mission in terms of protection because we are not that far from the city. Uh, and uh, Bordeaux is a nice city, but also a booming city. And uh, one of our mission as a, as a producer, as an appellation um, uh, uh, responsible, is to protect uh, the landscape and the ecosystem because uh, it's part of our taste and, uh, and history. So uh, it's, it's a big chance, but it's also um, a huge responsibility. Bordeaux is a fantastic city. I was there a month ago. I would go as far as to say it is, it might even be my favourite French city, actually. I, I really think it's got so much going for it, really great. But anyway, that's a diversion. Let's talk about that fog, uh, because it's a very special fog. Um, and Mathilde, um, just tell us how the climate um, and that fog uh, that Jean-Jacques mentioned, directly influence those sweet wines that you produce? The, when this fog happens uh, during the evening, during night, in the morning, um, you have humidity, obviously. Uh, as Jean-Jacques said, the climate is quite cool. Um, and uh, uh, during the day, because we're in Bordeaux, we have some sun. Humidity plus sun makes mushroom. Uh, we have a lot of mushrooms in the fields, but we also have mushrooms on the grapes. This mushroom is called Botrytis in area, so it's the noble rot. And um, how does it work? Uh, the, the mushroom starts um, uh, colonizing the grape. Uh, you will see it because the, the, the color of the grape changes. Uh, it becomes purple, and then the grape um, starts drying, has a lot of wrinkles, and uh, the actual uh, job that the mushroom does is to uh, eat microscopic parts of the skin uh, of the grape and, uh, and make let the, the water that is in the grape evaporate um, so that you get a maximum concentration in the grapes, uh, and uh, uh, a lot of aromas, uh, up to 56 different aromas that have been identified in our, in our uh, wines. It's a magical process in, in many ways. Uh, Jean-Jacques, botrytis, which doesn't sound as nice as, as noble rot, uh, but botrytis is often misunderstood. Just tell us what makes this kind of botrytis noble. Um, so, as you say, uh, botrytis is an enemy all over the world in many vineyards, especially when you have more than uh, 500 millimeters of rain per year. Usually, you have botrytis. So, of course, in uh, in Argentina, Australia is not really an issue, but in many other places, botrytis is everywhere. Actually, the spora of botrytis are in the soil, and they are reactivated by the rain. So that's why uh, here we harvest several times the same plot because botrytis is arriving in um, two, three, sometimes four times. And we try to, to harvest 
every generation at the right time. So here in Sauterne, we, we dance with the botrytis in a way uh, because we try to get it at the right time. So uh, the first criteria is the maturity of the grapes. We, we try to, to get botrytis at, um, at 13, between 13 to 14 potential degree of sugar. So that's why we, uh, we, we do the deleafing uh, quite early. Uh, to avoid uh, that the botrytis arrive on the green grapes, so it's it's one of the of the of the rules to have botrytis at the right time. And in that case, botrytis is digesting the skin of the berry, and if the weather conditions are good, it's allowing the water evaporation in the berry. Because uh, in a way, we need sun to have mature berry, some rain to get. Botrytis, because it's a fungus, and as every fungus, the, it needs some humidity. And after that, we need sun again to have the water evaporation and the concentration. Because sometimes we say that botrytis is concentrating, but actually it's it's a non-direct uh, concentration. At, uh, botrytis can concentrate if the weather condition after its invasion is uh, is good. In a way, uh, in, a, in, a, in, in one sentence, if we have um, afternoon above 22, 23 degrees, there is concentration. If it's raining during two weeks at 15 degrees, there is no concentration. So the first, the first role of botrytis when things go well is the water evaporation. The second one is um, aromatic multiplication. Botrytis is considered as, a, as an enemy by its berry. And the, the berry produce precursors of aroma to fight against the botrytis. And we scientifically know that uh, there is 50 times more precursors of aroma uh, in, a, in a berry invaded, attacked uh, by botrytis in the proper condition. So first role of botrytis, sugar concentration by water evaporation, aromatic concentration. And the third role, which is linked to the first one, is um, aging potential. Because um, when botrytis is digesting the berry, the, actually when botrytis is digesting the skin, it's also digesting the phenolic content. Phenolic content are responsible uh, for oxidation in any other wine, like red wine or dry white wine. In Sauterne, uh, there is no phenolic content anymore tannins, among other, because, thanks to the botrytis. So that's why we can keep a bottle of Sauterne one century in a cellar or maybe one month when it's open in a fridge. Uh, it's because of this famous botrytis or noble rot. So that's why we call it noble here because it's making the, the, the grapes and the wine at the end uh, more noble than, than without uh, botrytis. But actually, it's, it's also for this reason that it's very risky because... Uh, what I just explained is a theory. Uh, in the fact, in the, in the real world, um, sometimes it's, uh, things are um, happening a bit differently. Yeah. I mean, the complex series of reactions you're talking about to produce this incredible effect, as you say, in theory, is complicated, but you know, really amazing. Uh, but of course, there's a huge amount to go wrong um, there. And Mathilde, um, when you're working with Noble Rot, um, I, I assume um, the precision of your harvest dates um, is really absolutely crucial. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, you need uh, to have a bit of technique 
to be able to uh, pick those uh, grapes with Botrytis. As uh, Jean-Jacques said, we needed to do it uh, in several times. Um, you will cut, uh, pick the grapes that are ready, and then you will wait for the others. You will come back and then pick the rest. Sometimes we can come back five, six, seven times uh, on the same row, on the same plot, and uh, uh, it requires uh, time. Uh, as you said, precision, a lot of precision. It's key for us. There is only one harvest a year. So um, you can't be wrong. As I was doing my research, um, it, it appears that there is a, a, a almost like a, almost like gambling, I suppose. There's a, a kind of poker game to be played with waiting. Um, because if you wait just the right amount of time to harvest... Um, then you'll get an even more perfect result. But if you wait too long, it could all go wrong. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, uh, it's all a question of balance, I guess. Um, you need to wait until the level of concentration you're looking for uh, is, uh, is right, uh, is ready. Uh, but um, if you wait too long, you have, well, you have many risks, but uh, too to, I think the two main risks would be the climate. We usually start harvesting beginning of, of uh, October. So at this time, we can have a lot of rain. The rain will uh, sort of undo what the fungus did, uh, meaning when it rains, the grape will f- be full of water and uh, will have no concentration anymore. Uh, so you'll have to wait until the fungus is able to uh, redo this concentration work. Um, And uh, so this is the first risk. The second risk would be to wait too long. So, yeah, you wait too long, you have uh, uh, less juice in the grapes, you have a very, very high level of concentration, which which makes it hard to work uh, uh, the the juice. And Jean-Jacques, it's worth saying here um one of the reasons i love the wines from sautern and uh, and barsac is because there are sweet wines elsewhere in the world that can be quite sugary quite syrupy and there's always um, this very fine line of acidity isn't there yeah um, as we said before uh, here we have an interaction between fruits and botrytis actually it's not only a question of sugar it's a question of uh, aromatic multiplication, natural aromatic multiplication, and also a balance uh, between uh, residual sugar, pH, acidity, and our diversity of soil. Uh, because in Sauternes uh, and Barsac, in our five villages, we have every kind of, of soil that you can find in Bordeaux. You have gravel, you have clay, you have sand. You have limestone, uh, and uh, there is a, a, a real diversity. And every uh, winemaker, every uh, estate owner is playing with this diversity. So a lot of diversity in 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 Pregnac, Farg, Baume, and Sauternes. A little bit less diversity in Barsac because finally in Barsac there is mainly limestone, and in the four other village there is a bit of everything. Uh, so that's why usually the, the, the style uh, from you, you can recognize the style of, of every village, especially when uh, the estate is in one village. Sometimes it's divided between two or three villages. 
uh, and uh, it's for 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 those who are very interested by our appellation, there is there is really a style uh, from a village uh, to another. Even if we play with the same grapes, with the same process, because about wine making, uh, there is some differences, but there is really a common process. Uh, but the big difference is uh, harvest decision, uh, viticulture, soils, and uh, and in our little appellation, there is a huge diversity and we are preparing a open door winery uh, next weekend uh, in our appellation 50 50 chateaus will be open and we have more and more people coming to visit us especially because of that because every visit is different every tasting is different even if at the end it's 80 percent of semillon sometimes more uh, and there is botrytis in the equation every time but the, the style from a winery to another is is very diverse and uh, i think it's really an interesting experience for the for the consumer yeah certainly i mean tell us about those differences then between sauterne and barsac because as i understand it a wine produced in barsac can use the appellation sauterne on its label but the reverse is not the case if it's barsac it can obviously only come from barsac how do we um, tell as a, a, a taster, how do we tell the difference uh, between a Sauterne and a Barsac? So Barsac has this uh, double nationality, if we can say it like that. So some producers choose the name of Barsac on the label. Some others uh, choose the name of Sauterne. Honestly, there is no rules. It depends also on, on your market. Uh, some some owner has, a, uh, has more distribution in some countries who ask for Sauterne, which is a lot more famous especially for the for the consumer some others use the barsac name and insist on their barsac personality everybody is um, is free and in, uh, in barsac about that if we can talk about differences first of all climate usually um, barsac is a bit colder uh, that's why usually when there is a spring frost <laughs> barsac lost a lot a lot more than than the, the southern part because finally barsac is in the north of siron and the four other villages are in the south. Usually, uh, Barsac is, is the lowest part and the, and the coldest part because we are also uh, on, on, on the limestone soil for uh, 85% of the, of the village, and uh, we call limestone a cold soil. So, uh, so usually it's colder, and uh, in, uh, the, the result in the, in the glass is very often not the highest concentration in terms of residual sugar, but usually um, a bit higher acidity and lower pH. But honestly, in some uh, vintage, it's, it's, it's a reality. In some others vintage, especially warm vintage, the difference between Barsac and, and, and the four others village is not that easy to feel. So um, it's not, um, I mean, it's not automatic, but if we try to sum up, it's, it's, it's a bit that. Great. Yes, that's hugely helpful. And Mathilde, the grape varieties, the most famous uh, would be Semillon and Sauvignon. Uh, that's right, isn't it? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the, the biggest part of a Sauterne Barsac appellation uh, uses Semillon. Above 80%, I would say. It's the biggest vineyard, uh, the biggest Semillon vineyard in the world, even if it's very small, but it's one of the biggest. And uh, Semillon, I think, 
is the grape that's most susceptible to botrytis, uh, to noble rot. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At, at, actually, to be honest, before the phylloxera crisis, uh, Sautern and Barsac were using 30 different grapes. After the phylloxera, uh, we replant. I mean, our ancestors replant, and they choose Semillon because it's, it's an easier grape to get botrytis at the right time, some Sauvignon, and uh, some uh, muscadel. Uh, and after we had another event, the, fr- the big frost of uh, 1956, uh, it wasn't just a spring frost, it was a winter frost. So we lost the vines, we lost the plants. And uh, when our ancestors decided to replant again the vineyard, they chose even more semillon because there was more in 1855 after the phylloxera, it was something like 50-50 Sauvignon semillon. And after the big uh, frost of 56, it was even more um, semillon. And now we can say we are about, about uh, 85, 80, 85% of, of semillon. Uh, usually we use a Sauvignon Blanc to, to bring a bit, a bit more acidity. Uh, but Sauvignon Blanc also is very fragile. So the, there is a risk with botrytis uh, that you get botrytis a bit too early. Uh, and the risk of uh, that you throw away a significant part of the production. So Sauvignon Botrytis, when it's good, it's excellent, but it's, it's, it's a risky business. In the dry whites of uh, Bordeaux, uh, sometimes we see Sauvignon Gris. Um, is that used in the sweet wines? As far as we know, very, very few. There was a fashion in the, in the, in the, in the 80s and the 90s of this Sauvignon Gris, Sauvignon, uh, Pink Sauvignon. To be honest, this is not the, the variety the most adapted to the global warming because usually maturity of, of uh, uh, Sauvignon Gris and Sauvignon Rose is a bit in advance. It's not exactly that we are looking for with the global warming. We try to, to postpone a bit uh, the maturity. Uh, and in Sauternes, uh, as far as I know, I know some uh, Sauvignon Gris, but it's used to, to make some dry but to do some, some Sauterne or Barsac, I don't think so. Interesting. And Mathilde, uh, we talked about the extreme care you have to take in the vineyard and the number of passes that you make for harvest. Uh, once you have the grapes in the winery, tell us about the process of winemaking for creating a sweet wine. Um, a lot of things... I would say the, the main, the most important thing in, in making sweet wine are the grapes. We've uh, talked extensively about them. Uh, what happens in the cellar is also important, but I would say most of the work is already done when you have good grapes. Um, the, the grape will be uh, pressed uh, and then you'll uh, uh, start the fermentation. Uh, with natural yeast, then the the fermentation can last to uh, up to from two to four weeks, um, and then when you reach the balance uh, you want uh, in terms of uh, sugar and alcohol, uh, you will stop the fermentation. Jean Jacques. The test of a, a wine coming from Sauterne and Barsac uh, from the two appellations, they have to be sweet in character. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's uh, so it usually uh, in, the, in the specification of our appellation, 
you need to have uh, something like 80 grams of uh, residual sugar minimum. But in the fact, it's 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 a lot above. Huh? It's, uh, we are in, in average 120 grams a liter for a 12 degrees alcohol. So this is more or less uh, the, the the standard, the, the minimum standard. And those uh, wines uh, I mentioned in the introduction, some people call them dessert wines, but um, I always use the term sweet wines because uh, dessert implies just you know the end of a meal pudding. And actually, I love these wines with cheese for a start, but actually they have a versatility, Jean-Jacques, across a meal, don't they? Yeah, actually, if you consider our history, we'll never uh, be at the, at the dessert. Uh, and if you consider the the, the golden age of Sauterne, Sauterne was an aperitive wine and Champagne was a dessert wine. Little by little, and maybe because we are not that strong in terms of marketing, we uh, we came back to the to the dessert uh, position and Champagne is uh, where we know uh, now. Uh, but actually, our history uh, has nothing to do with dessert. In the fact, you can have a wonderful food pairing with dessert as well, especially with with a low level of sugar uh, dessert. Uh, but we have many other um, opportunity uh, to pair our wine uh, during the aperitif, of course. And but in in general, uh, in opposition with a salty and spicy flavor. And uh, and since we um, we did more. Uh, education and more communication with sommeliers all over the world and uh, and uh, thanks to the the action of some big uh, estate uh, all over the world uh, there is more and more sauterne called by the glass uh, in many restaurants not only for the dessert and that's why also um, sauterne is getting better and better and uh, and if we and if we talk about inventory of our stocks about the uh, on the appellation scale, uh, we have a lot less wine available than uh, ten years ago. So it's um, it's a fact. Um, people is is having more sauterne now than in the past, uh, and uh, and it's mainly thanks to this tendency. We are not only uh, sequestrated at the dessert. That's interesting, Jean-Jacques, because in the UK, uh, as you'll know, because it's a, a big market, sweet wines have slightly struggled against some of the vagaries of fashion in recent times. As I say, it's a shame because they're delicious and very versatile. Uh, it sounds from what you're saying like you are seeing a renewed interest in uh, these wines. Yeah, the, the, the defini- it's what we feel here, but I think it's a, this is a result of a, of many action for for the last decade. Uh, I think uh, Sauterne uh, made a lot of efforts to to welcome public. I mean, we we are we are not a touristic area, but we are more and more visited, uh, honestly. And it's uh, it's a way to make um, a lot of uh, consumer experience. People uh, after a visit in uh, in an estate uh, in our five villages has more ideas about food pairing with Sauterne because he had some experience. He stayed in in a, in a nice hotel, bed and breakfast, or he had a, a good meal in a, in a nice restaurant, and uh, it's completely uh, changing the perception. 
uh, of the of the of the visitors. And at the end of the day, you know, we represent less than one percent of the total Bordeaux volume of production. So we don't need that much of new market or new consumer. Just a bit more dynamism, and uh, and actually we are missing wine. Uh, so uh, the tendency is is good, but it's it's not over. We 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 have some. Some effort to make it, to continue uh, this uh, this nice tendency. Yeah, and I mentioned they represent good value. I I think, um, and actually, when you describe the pair of you uh, the process of making these wines, Jean Jacques, these are very complicated and expensive wines to produce, aren't they? Yes, uh, actually, uh, I think even if um, people can say uh, <coughs> a bottle of Sauternes. Um, can be expensive. Actually, it's it's uh, really inexpensive uh, if you consider the amount of risk, the amount of cost uh, that you have uh, by um, making a bottle of Sauterne. Uh, I think it's an excellent value for the consumer. And if you consider that uh, this bottle can be stored in your cellar for one century, if you divide the price of a bottle uh, a bottle of Sauterne uh, uh, by by one hundred years, uh, it's uh, it's it's a gift actually. It is. I think that's entirely fair. Mathilde, I mentioned food pairing, and I should let you talk about that as well. Um, talk about some of your favourite pairings um, with these wines. I like Sautern very much with uh, oysters. Uh, I think uh, sugar with the uh, marine taste uh, from oysters uh, is absolutely perfect. And um, I also like it um, with any kind of fish, uh, Asian food, uh, with sushi. You can have it with sushi. It's, uh, it's delicious. You can also uh, use it for Indian food, uh, any kind of curry, uh, any, you know, Sotan has uh, among uh, all the aromas, has a lot of um, um, uh, spices. And uh, and uh, spicy food uh, marries perfectly uh, with our wine. Uh, then you, ha- you can have it with uh, any any kind of cheese, and uh, uh, also a classic would be with uh, a roasted chicken. As simple as that. You've uh, inspired me greatly there. And yeah, cheese. I love uh, Roquefort and Sauternes together. It's just. Uh, really magical, especially if you've got um, uh, a russet English apple to go along with it as well. It's um, really very, very lovely. Um, we talked briefly there about the aging potential, which is enormous from these wines. And so a final question, um, uh, Jean-Jacques, what's the um, oldest Sauterne or Barsac wine um, that you've ever tasted? It was <coughs> 1893, La, F- La Fourie Peyraguet. He had the chance to be invited when they um, opened the the, the rest, hotel and restaurant at La Forêt Peyrague. It was in 2018, and they they invited some um, friends, um, journalists, and uh, a neighbor uh, to uh, to have a, a 150-year vertical. And uh, actually, it was um, amazing the the level of. Um, of use and, uh, and and freshness uh, that you still have in this in these vintages. Actually, at that at that time, um, many chateaux were using, as I said before, more Sauvignon Blanc than now, 
so that's why also you feel uh, quite a lot of freshness. Not that high a level of residual sugar. It was below 100 grams, uh, but incredibly clean and pure and uh, and and well balanced. I mean, it's uh, it's 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 not just good. Uh, you are you are also uh, uh, have a, a cruise when you drink that kind of wine. You have a, you have a cruise in. Uh, in history, in, in the past, it's it's something very um, very um, it it really touch you. It's uh, it's unbelievable, and I think there is very few wine in the world able to uh, to give you that kind of experience above the taste. The taste is 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 incredible because you don't feel sugar anymore. Uh, but but it's not only that. I mean, it's you are just thinking about the people who made this wine. And, uh, and 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 after uh, more than one century, you still have uh, pleasure uh, tasting it. It's uh, I think there is. We are very lucky because you you can do that in very few jobs. Yeah, it's incredible. And what uh, a way to round off with uh, a wine of of that great age. Um, lucky you, uh, Mathilde and Jean Jacques. Um, it's been a a great pleasure to talk to you, and and really. You know, interesting as well the complexity the the detail involved uh, in in what you're doing is uh, is uh, awe inspiring so um thank you very much for uh, joining us here on the drinking hour to share the secrets of uh, sweet bordeaux thank, thank you very you. much david thank you very much the drinking hour with david kermode in partnership with club onologique the world through the lens of wine and spirits Right, let's round off as ever with some medal winners from the IWSC Hall of Fame. And for obvious reasons, our theme today is Bordeaux. And let's kick off with a Sauterne that won an impressive silver medal, 91 points. This one is at M&S, Maison Sichel, Lord du Suron, 2016. Master of Wine, Mick O'Connell, overseeing the judging process here. And the panel included Master Sommelier, Matteo Montone. Also Waitrose Wine Buyer, Daphne Taremetz. And Fine Wine Buyer, Anna Siporzinska. And their tasting note says this, a complex array of aromas, including orange, apricot jam, honey, a lick of spice and intense stone fruit. This wine displays a high degree of botrytis with good acidity and a buttery finish that will age gracefully and that's available according to my research just now at uh, just under 15 pounds at M&S and or Ocado and just to underline that point about the value that's available from Sauterne here's a medal winner from one of the German discounters Aldi specially selected Sauterne 2018 was a bronze medal winner the tasting note intense apricot aromas a touch of honey and saffron ginger there's obvious if delicate botrytis character present as well and the value point, that's £11.49 for a half bottle, the uh, sort of standard size we're used to, uh, based, again, on my quick research. So there's one for Christmas. Moving to something I love, a dry white Bordeaux, uh, still hugely underrated. Chateau de Sour Quarry 2021 won a silver. This one is 100% Sauvignon Blanc. And the panel's tasting note says this. This wine has a lovely pearling quality and shows integrated vanilla on the nose with a little tropical fruit, intense lemon and grapefruit notes, elevated acidity and a long tangy finish. Next to a red from one of the great names um, stocked at our biggest supermarket chain. 
so Chateau Boyd Cantonac, Tesco Finest 2018. Uh, the tasting note says this. Intense notes of bright cherry flow from the nose to the palate with refreshing acidity and fine tannins. And that was a bronze medal winner, as was this, another great name, Baron Edmund de Rothschild, Chateau Clark, 2018. And the panel described a wine that was very rich and intense with fruits on the nose, followed by toasty chocolatey oak and big, firm tannins. A uh, short selection for you there from uh, Bordeaux. That's it for another edition of The Drinking Hour. My thanks to uh, Jean-Jacques and Mathilde for a fascinating chat on the art of producing fine, sweet Bordeaux. I uh, hope you enjoyed that. Do join us again next time. You can follow us at Food FM Radio on Instagram or X, the new name for Twitter. And if you'd like to follow me, I'm Mr. Venusaurus. And you could find my column at clubonologique.com. For now, goodbye. The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique, the world through the lens of wine and spirits. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.